exit today. Well, uh, this morning we're continuing our series. We're calling Same God, looking at the spiritual gifts. And uh, just thinking about gifts, it reminded me when I was seven years old, I found myself sitting in a living room with cousins and aunts and uncles, and uh, it was the time we had all been waiting for. I mean, who needs grandma's cooking when you have grandma's gifts? You know what I'm saying? This was, there was a Christmas tree there. And so it was time to open the gifts for Christmas. And to my amazement, I hear my grandmother say, Tanner, you get to open the first gift this year. And in my little small seven-year-old mind, I did not have the wherewithal to realize that the favor of God was resting upon me in that moment. And so I began to tear open the gift. And with great anticipation, I look into the box and I find a collection of three pairs of black socks. I looked at the socks. I looked up at my dad. And my dad did not think I had the favor of God in me. He thought the devil had entered me. Because with great disappointment and without a word of thank you, which was breaking the cardinal sin in our family, I did not even tell my grandmother thank you for the black socks. And I think my dad, you know, gave me the look and then called me over and told me what I needed to do and to get that frown off of my face. And it was like it was not a good experience for me, for my dad. My grandmother was probably okay with it, you know, but whatever. Um, like this, this was just one of those experiences as a child that I'll never forget. And you know, there are some gifts that God gives or wants to give us that we feel as though they are more like the black socks. As we're talking about spiritual gifts and we talk about gifts of teaching and leadership and mercy and, you know, serving, like these gifts, these are like, these are the remote control cars, you know what I'm saying? Like these are the basketball cards that you really, really wanted to see if you got the Michael Jordan card or whatever. Or, you know, like the, the, for, the, for, the, for the girls, you know, the seven-year-old girls, like the Barbie doll castles, you know, she's like, some gifts are like, oh, we want these gifts. We love these gifts. We celebrate these gifts. But then there are other gifts, like the more miraculous gift that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, like tongues and prophecy and miracles and healing. It's kind of like, "Mm, what am I supposed to do with this gift? And and I think there are some reasons for this. If, If you're anything like me in your spiritual journey, you may have lived most of your Christian life not necessarily rejecting any gift that is found in the New Testament, but living your life in such a way that you keep them at such arm's length that you live as though they don't exist. And as I reflect back even on my own spiritual journey with Jesus, I believe there are a few reasons for this. You probably have other reasons in your experience. If it's anything like me, I know some of you are like, what? You never believed that all the gifts were like, you know, you should be seeking them and praying for them and looking for them. Um, well, I think there are a few reasons. Number one, we all, all of us live in the uh, age of post-enlightenment where rationalism and empiricism says if you can't see it and you can't explain it, it must not be true. 
But not only that, I grew up in churches that, quite frankly, never really taught on these miraculous gifts. And it would be easy to point the finger and be like, oh, man, what is their fault? Throw the blame on them. I mean, I got to say, even at Redemption Hill, we haven't always done a great job of explaining and teaching about all of the gifts in the New Testament. And we're sorry for that. And we're changing that. But, but it wasn't my church's fault. Why? Because, well, I, I was taught to read at a pretty young age, and I had a Bible, and I loved to study the Bible, but I never really deeply studied and wrestled with these verses and how they fit into the larger story of the advance of the church of Jesus Christ. And then finally, I had never deeply experienced them for myself. Yeah, maybe there were a few kind of a taste here, a taste there, a, 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 a story from a credible uh, source or friend, but had never really experienced them in a deeper way. But I want you to know that wherever you are in your spiritual journey, if you're kind of like I was for a long time in my life, like, yeah, I don't really reject them, but I'm just not so sure about them. Listen, we want you to know you are welcomed in our church. We're not necessarily going to have the same view on all of the details of theology. But as we often say, we want to walk together. We want to follow Jesus together. We want to study the Bible together and get our cues from who Christ is and what he has given to us. And so what I want to do is state clearly that the pastors of our church believe miraculous gifts are for today. Like, like today, right now, May 15th, 2022, we believe that all of the gifts listed in the New Testament are for today. And we're going to spend considerable time on why we believe that and then what we see about these particular gifts that Paul lists in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. So what I want to do first is I want to read these verses for us and then we're going to dive right in. Okay, so Paul says this. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, by the way, Paul is likely re responding to a a question posed by the Corinthians in correspondence back and forth. Okay, so now he's answering the question about spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's how we feel as pastors of redemption. That's why we're spending seven weeks in this same God series to unpack all of the spiritual gifts and how they can operate in our lives. Verse 2, he says, you know that when you were pagans, in other words, when you didn't believe in Jesus or follow the ways of God, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Did you catch it? Why are we just the same God series? It is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 7, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. 
To another, the workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And then Paul ends in verse 11 by saying this. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray one more time. God, we ask that in these moments, you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand what your word is saying, what you have spoken so many years ago, but it's so relevant for our lives today. God, illuminate our minds, enlighten us, help us to understand, but even more than understand, God, help us to live accordingly as we follow Jesus and follow him together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you two simple truths this morning as we break down these verses together, all right? Number one, God is still empowering people with spiritual gifts, right? God is still empowering people with spiritual gifts. Paul uh, says at the very beginning, I, I don't want you to be uninformed, the Corinthians had questions and no doubt, I have no doubt if you start peering in and we're going to get to these. Everyone has questions. If you have questions about spiritual gifts, please listen to me. You are not alone. The Corinthians had questions. I have questions. The person sitting next to you, you can look at them and say, you have questions. Everyone has questions about the spiritual Gifts. Even the authors of the books that we recommend, I guarantee you, they still have questions about spiritual gifts. And so it's our privilege and responsibility to learn and to pursue them and to discuss them and to, to experience them together. In verses 2 and 3, Paul makes a simple point that once someone believes in Jesus, Jesus gives him the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers them to live their life for God. This is both in terms of the fruit of the character of Jesus Christ that we uh, display, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of these ways that we reflect Jesus to the world and to one another. But also he doesn't only give us the fruit of the Spirit, he gives us the gifts of the Spirit by which we serve others and advance God's mission. Which brings us to the question, what are spiritual gifts? How, how would we define spiritual gifts? Well, here is our best attempt currently to define spiritual gifts. We would say spiritual gifts are spirit-empowered abilities that uniquely equip followers of Jesus to serve one another and advance God's mission in the world. Jordan Singh, in his book, Miracle Work, says spiritual gifts give us a power boost in a specific area of ministry. I don't think that's a bad way to think about it, that, that you know, we're all called to be merciful. We're all called to teach one another. We're all called to, to most all of these gifts, like I think any Christian can participate in at some level or degree, even commanded to. And yet, when we are gifted in an area, it's like we have a power boost in that particular area or ministry. And then Paul goes on and he talks about how our triune God has diversely gifted us, but in a way that is unified. It's all coming from him and it's all for a unified purpose. He talks about this in verses 4 through 6. He says, there are varieties of gifts 
but the same Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, referring to Jesus Christ. And then he says there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And what you need to understand about these three words in verses 4, 5, and 6 is that these terms are essentially interchangeable. When Paul says gifts in verse 4, he is referring to grace gifts. The Greek word is charismata, all right? We know that sometimes we classify churches as charismatic churches or non-charismatic churches. Paul would say, look, hey, if you have the spirit, you're all charismatic. All right? He would say it with a smile, kind of joking, but being for real. All right? like if you have a spiritual gift, if you have the spirit, you have spiritual gifts. And they are grace gifts. They are graciously given by God to us to advance his love mission. Then service refers to all kinds of everyday acts of service. Activities comes from the Greek word energeia, which you hear the word energy. That um, it, 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 it is like uh, God giving us his divine power, applying his divine power in our lives. And so these opening verses, which I preached on, I think it was January 12th, and we'll come back to later this year again, okay? We'll spend more time in verses 1 through 6 uh, on, uh, you know, on another Sunday, but uh, they clearly teach us that God is still empowering his people with spiritual gifts. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time diving into this next truth that I want you to see, and that is God is still working miraculously to reveal his goodness, all right? God is still working miraculously to reveal his goodness. Do not miss verse 7, all right? If you want to memorize just one verse on the spiritual gifts all of these seven weeks, okay, verse 7 is your verse. It's just so uh, loaded with meaning in terms of what spiritual gifts are all about. And Paul says what? To each, if, if you follow Jesus, say, that's me. We love doing this. Oh, that was great. I just want it one more time, even higher decibels. That's me. That's beautiful. Oh, that's beautiful. That's you. All right, he says to each is given. We talk about these grace gifts. These gifts are flowing to us from God, but they are given, why? For the manifestation. You say, Tanner, that's not a word we use much. What manifestation? What does that mean? To manifest something means to display. It means to make clear to the eye. So when we serve in our spiritual giftings, we are actually, check this out, making God the Spirit clear to the eyes of others. Because what does he say? It's not a manifestation of us. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. And why does God give us these gifts to manifest the Spirit? It is for the common good. The word could be translated with a view of benefiting. In other words, when we exercise spiritual gifts, we bring spiritual profit. We bring spiritual benefit to one another. And so after stating this all-important verse, verse 7, Paul immediately goes on to list nine specific gifts that were in full operation in the life of the Corinthian church. And so before we examine 
each gift, I want to take some time, going to take some considerable time this morning because I know there are so many questions and we've never even really uh, spent this kind of time uh, presenting why we believe miraculous gifts are for today. So I want to give you seven reasons why we believe miraculous gifts are for today. You might want to take some notes, right? So number one, why we believe miraculous gifts continue today is the expansive biblical evidence. This reason is the most important reason. We find the miraculous all over the Bible. We start in the Gospels and we see that not only Jesus, the Son of God, worked and operated with signs and wonders, healings and all of these casting out demons, but he also empowered his followers to do the same thing. They were healing people and casting out demons and doing crazy stuff like walking on water. No, I've never done it, but I believe anything's possible, right? So um, this was happening throughout the Gospels, not just in the life of Jesus, but in the life of his followers. Then we go to Acts. We see the blind and lame healed, angelic messages and revelatory dreams received, the dead raised, and the apostle Paul living with such power that twice he is accused of being divine. Go back and read Acts 14 in Acts 28. But it's not just the gospel in Acts. Because I know we think like, well, that was, the, like, that was just Acts. It was only happening, you know, through the apostles. But go to Galatians 3, verse 5. Does he who supplies the spirit to you, we're good with that, and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. It was happening in Galatia. We already saw from Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 that prophets and apostles were in their midst. We find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where it says, do not despise prophecies. We see in James chapter 5 where James instructs the pastors of the church to go pray over people that they might be healed. The gifts of Miracles are all over the New Testament. And while we're talking about the biblical evidence, let's back up to the Old Testament. Miracles are all over the place from creation to Christ. And this is important because you will hear those that often reject the miraculous gifts say, well, you know, they only showed up in three distinct periods of time. Uh, that would be Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, and Jesus and the apostles. And there's one huge problem with that. It's called the Bible. Let's listen to the evidence for elsewhere from outside of those times. Genesis reveals angelic visitations. Conception at nearly 100 years old. Hello, Sarah. That's a miracle. Um, not only that, supernatural dreams and the interpretation of those dreams. We fast forward to the book of Judges. We find Deborah's prophecy and Gideon's, um, you know, mir miracles and, and work. We find Samson's supernatural feats. In 1 Samuel, we find Hannah supernaturally conceiving the prophetic ministry of Samuel and God's repeated supernatural guidance to David. And if we had time, we could go to all the prophets. I mean, just go upstairs and ask the redemption kids if they know anything about Daniel and his friends, and they're going to start telling you about some miraculous stories. Miracles are all over the scriptures. But not only this, listen to this. This is so important. I believe the Bible clearly says that it actually says that we should expect these specific gifts to continue until Christ returns. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says that tongues will cease and prophecies will pass away. When? When the perfect comes. And we just think about when, when is, is, are things, here's a simple question, are things perfect? Like, are you looking around like, oh, you got perfect, perfect neighbors, perfect family members, perfect spouse, perfect, perfect roommates, right? Like, no, it's not, the perfect comes when Christ returns. So we should expect to see these gifts in operation all the way until he returns. Not only there, but in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that apostles and prophets are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry until we all attain to the maturity of faith. I mean, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what is happening around the world with the church, particularly the American church, but not just the American church, okay? But there are a lot of imperfect churches, including this one, and we have not yet reached to maturity. And so we should expect that these gifts are continuing today. And then finally, listen, there is no indication in the Bible that any specific gift would cease. Jesus did not give these gifts and flow this power through his people and said, oh, you can expect an expiration date. And I think one of the most convincing arguments that I had to really pay attention to as I was re-wrestling with all of this is this. If you take a brand new believer who just came to Christ, and you said, you know what, we're going to give you some food and water, but before you really start following Jesus with the rest of us, we're going to lock you in a room with food and water, and uh, we're going to give you a Bible. And we're going to ask you to read that Bible cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation, and then we are going to ask you at the end of that reading, hey, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is working in all of these ways that are listed in the New Testament today? I think he's going to say, or she's going to say, God said he would give us the Spirit. He said that the Spirit would do all this kind of crazy stuff. Let's go. I'm talking Tom Brady passion. Let's go. And... As they go, Tatum kiss to the crowd after we hit 14 threes and beat the Milwaukee Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks uh, this afternoon. All right, so, so number one, number one, right? The biblical evidence is Paranosian like that. Yeah, that's right. Celtics at 3.30. All right, the, the, Diane, I know we're going to watch that game before Covenant class. Okay, the biblical evidence is expansive. But then number two, which most of the other reasons, by the way, just give more biblical evidence, The age of the Spirit is now. The age of the Spirit is now. What am I talking about? On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the believers in the upper room and they go around and speak in strange tongues to the point that it says people are amazed and they're wondering, they're perplexed at what's going on. And then Peter speaks up and what does he say? He quotes the Bible in Joel chapter 2, and he says what? He says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So the question we ask is, did the last days end with the apostles? Or do the last days still continue? 
What Peter is saying is he's saying this is the age of the Holy Spirit. This is the new covenant age that did not stop with the apostles' death, but that continues until Christ's return. We are living in the age of the Spirit. We believe, by the way, this is so important, that all of the New Testament gifts, there is not one gift that we have already addressed or will address that is not available for both women and men. Both young and old. Listen, we should not think just because someone is newly saved and they're maybe even a child that God can't work through them. Or that you get to a certain point in your life and and you're like, oh, you're, you're too old to be effective for God. No, 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 no. God says in the age of the Spirit that the Spirit is poured out, being, working through all of God's people. Then number three, uh, non-apostles practiced the gifts. Non-apostles practiced the gifts. This is so important because uh, cessationists, which th- that's a group of people, it's a technical term that re- uh, refers to people who believe that the gifts ceased or stopped with the age of the apostles. Um, they often argue that miracles only serve to authenticate their teaching that Jesus was raised from the dead and is the Son of God. But... This argument fails to recognize that while, yes, signs and wonders did, were a part of their ministry, it never explicitly says that they authenticated. Uh, and then also, even go back and read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, a little closer. Um, and then also, it, it fails to recognize that there were other ways that the apostles had their ministries authenticated or verified. The power of their preaching, the, the character of their lives, their endurance through suffering. Just go read 2 Corinthians, and Paul talks about all of these throughout that 13-chapter letter. But more importantly to this argument, we see non-apostles practicing the gifts all over the place. We already talked about the 72 in Luke chapter 10. What about the others among the apostles who were gathered in the upper room up to 120? That means maybe 108 other people possibly were all speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost. We see Stephen and Philip operating in the miraculous in Acts chapter 6 through 8. We see Ananias healing Paul's eyes in Acts chapter 9. We find the Antioch believers prophesying in Acts 13. New converts in Ephesus spoke in tongues and prophesied in Acts 19. We read about Philip's four prophetic daughters in Acts chapter 21, along with the prophet Agabus in Acts 21, not to mention the aforementioned Galatians, Thessalonians, Romans, Ephesians, and the people scattered all over the uh, diaspora uh, that that James, well, James was writing to the church in Jerusalem, but there too. Listen, the point is this, uh, the gifts are all over the New Testament and they were being exercised all over the world. But that's not all. The fourth reason we believe that miraculous gifts continue today is the purpose of spiritual gifts. Now, we just highlighted one in verse 7 that gifts are given to serve the common good. They're designed to help people, to build others up, to strengthen and encourage, Romans 1 talked about, or to build up and equip people, Ephesians 4 talked about, or as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 14, that God uses the gifts to bring conviction and to point people to Jesus. He uses prophecy to bring encouragement and comfort and consolation to people. And that doesn't include what we see in the Gospels and Acts, how miracles worked to glorify God, display God's care and compassion, display the kingdom of God, and make way for the Gospel. 
Now, I don't know about you, but as I think about this, I'm thinking, God, this like purpose, 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 purpose. And, and you're just going to take those out? Like you don't want those to be, like they, they operate in like these 10, for these 10 awesome reasons for so long, but, but you're just going to kind of pull those away? I, I don't think so. And clear, as we've pointed out, clearly contra, uh, evidence to the contrary. But then number five, look at this. This is, this is we're going to wrestle with this more in a couple of weeks. There is commanded pursuit. Look at, look at verse uh, 31 of chapter 12. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, all in the context of these gifts being talked about. What about chapter 14, verse 1? Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then in verse 39 of chapter 14, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. There is commanded pursuit for us to pursue all of God's gifts, every gift that he desires to give us. Uh, number six, not only do we have all of this evidence in the Bible, but we also have tons of evidence throughout church history. If we were to go back and look at original firsthand sources and well-documented firsthand accounts, these are coming from the most respected, credible sources and teachers of church history. Let me just name a few for you. You have Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Augustine. You heard like the most famous, influential theologian probably in church history, aside from the Apostle Paul, Augustine. He's affirming these gifts. What about uh, Gregory the Great, Bernard of Clairvaux, Francis of Assisi, Thomas Aquinas, all the way to Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, and even Charles Spurgeon. This is wild. I'll probably talk about this in a couple weeks. Charles Spurgeon probably would have considered himself a cessationist, and yet he's talking about more than a dozen times that he prophesied while he's preaching. The evidence is all over the place in church history. And then, and then finally, uh, we should consider that, that really and truly, uh, at least from my humble perspective, <laughs> that the counter-arguments are not persuasive. Unconvincing counter-arguments would be the last argument that I would give you today. 1 Corinthians says, uh, 13 says, tongues will cease. We already answered that. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church will be built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Yes, it does, but we've already answered that. What about uh, the, 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 the objection? Look at all the abuses and the unbiblical practices of spiritual gifts. Maybe this is one of the reasons why you used to believe in them. But like now you're keeping them at arm's length because you've experienced abuses in your life. And if that's you, we're sorry that that has happened to you. But we know that an abuse of a gift does not make it untrue. As people love to point out, I mean, there is a lot of bad teaching and preaching going on in the world. But we don't like say, there's no more teaching. So we need to think through this carefully. What about uh, this? I used to really be sympathetic to this one. If, if people have the gift of healing, why aren't hospitals empty? But we see in the New Testament, even in the life of Jesus, that it's not just healing on demand for everyone all the time. And then another argument, which hits close to home. I, I've, I've never experienced it. So it must not be true. And probably for a lot of you, uh, if you are uh, resistant or hesitant, this is probably big for you. And that's okay. 
but we need to be reminded that our experience doesn't surpass or rise above the authority of God's word. But we should ask, well, if I lack the experience, then why is it that I lack the experience? Well, I gave you some reasons in the intro of probably why I wasn't looking for them or experiencing them uh, to, to a very uh, great degree at all. Uh, but, but here are some other just thoughts for you. Maybe you've experienced what we would call the, the miraculous gifts that we've looked at, but you just didn't have eyes to see. You just didn't recognize that you were experiencing one of these gifts. Or number two, uh, maybe God wants to give you one of those gifts, but you've never asked. And then number three, and this one's super convicting. As Matt Chandler said before, he said, perhaps the reason we do not experience more of the power of the Spirit, even in these miraculous ways, is because we do not live lives that require him. In other words, we're not stepping out in faith. We're not living with that kind of sacrifice that we talked about in our members meeting this morning where we, God, like, God we, like, if you don't show up here, God, like nothing is changing. And that's certainly part of the reason God gives miraculous gifts. And so why is this, listen, why is this so important? I think this is obvious, but I want to just state it clearly. This is so important because if you do not believe that these gifts are for today, you are not going to be looking for them, praying for them, or desiring to experience them. But I don't know about you. I think I know about you, but, but I know for myself, I do not want to miss out. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about black socks here, by the way. We are talking about beautiful, treasured gifts that God wants to give his people and is continuing to give his people in our day. So let's talk about the gifts. What were the diverse gifts that Paul get, uh, talks about God giving to the group of the Corinthians? Well, uh, the first two are utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge. Most people call, we're going to call them today, words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Now, we need to state from the outset that nowhere else in the Bible does it talk about these two gifts explicitly which is one of the reasons we have questions, right? Sometimes the Bible doesn't give us a ton of information about all the variety or, uh, you know, expressions of the gifts. So we want to hold our conclusions with humility in all things, especially where the Bible doesn't speak very much to them. But the key question here is this. Are these gifts prophetic in nature? Some people would call them revelatory. In other words, they are revelations from God in the moment, or are they more general gifts, like generally being wise and having wisdom for specific situations or having the gift of general knowledge, okay? I don't believe, we've talked about this, I don't believe that the gifts in the list in the New Testament are exhaustive. Therefore, I have plenty of room for there being a general gift of wisdom, a general gift of knowledge, but I believe these are prophetic in nature primarily because the next seven gifts all seem to be miraculous or tied to the miraculous. So I think these are prophetic in nature. Now, let me explain them. Words of wisdom. What is a word of wisdom? A word of wisdom is speaking a message from God that provides direction. So uh, a word of wisdom communicates timely insight 
for a specific situation. I've been in meetings, and I probably wouldn't have called this a word of wisdom, but I've been in meetings where like everyone is stomped, no one sees the path forward, and we don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, one person speaks up and everything is clear. That could be, probably is a word of wisdom. Some people have a power boost in that specific blessing from God. But what about words of knowledge? Let me say words of wisdom. They, they help us navigate challenges, care for people with insight, and strategically advance God's mission. That's words of wisdom. What about words of knowledge? A word of knowledge shares information given by God that is otherwise unknown. The, the most uh, you know, well-known example probably from the Bible is when Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well, right? And Jesus had never met her before, but he's talking to her about water and not just physical water from Jacob's well, but spiritual water that he can give her. And she's like, where can I get this? And, you know, he's telling her about who he is. And, and then she's like, well, I got to go tell my, my, my husband about it. And Jesus said, uh, what, your husband, uh, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with right now, uh, he's not your husband. And she's like, what? Like, what is like, who are you? You are prophet that's come into the world. Like, you know stuff about me that you've never met me before. And so words of knowledge, words of knowledge often confirm prophetic messages that are given by prophets. I had an experience a few years ago when I spent some time with a prophet and he proceeded to tell me that my grandfather was a pastor, my mother had cancer when I was 13, and my seven-year-old daughter liked to sing songs on the back deck. Never spoke to him in my life. These were words of knowledge. And these words of knowledge confirmed or helped me pay attention to all of the other prophetic words that he was speaking into my life. God, thank you for that man. Then we have faith. Now, faith is maybe not miraculous at its core, but it's so closely tied to the next two miraculous gifts, healings and miracles. So what is faith? Faith is believing God will work beyond ordinary expectation. People with the gift of faith, they love impossible situations. They love singing, I've seen you move, you move the mountain, oh that was bad, and I believe, come on sing it with me, I'll see you do it again. Oh let's go, I've got the anointing voice, God's giving me the gift of a song right now, all right, like this is like, God you've done it before, you can do it again, do it again God. You've, you've brought revival and awakening to thousands of people. We didn't show up in Boston so just that a few people can know Jesus. We want to see thousands and thousands of people, God, light up us, light up this man with the gift of faith to walk in your power. The people with the gift of faith, they don't want to pray small prayers because they feel like small prayers will insult the heart of God. And so faith moves forward. Faith perseveres. And faith, again, is so pivotal to these next two gifts which are healing and miracles. What, what are gifts of healing? Gifts of healing bring restoration apart from natural means. So, so the gifts of faith are restoring health apart from 
natural means. These are times where God uses us in our prayers or just to speak healing over people in a way that it could be simply something as something as a bad cough all the way to cancer that God touches people and heals them on the spot. And notice here that Paul says, gifts of healing. This is in the plural. It's in the plural not only here, but also in verse 28 and verse 29. And this seems to point possibly to different gifts to heal specific ailments, or it refers to each instance of healing being a gift. We can't be uh, completely sure, but it's probably one of those two, if not both of them. But in any case, healings display God's compassion and point people to the day where there will be no more sickness, no more uh, uh, death, no more pain, no more tears. And and we will talk about this more, but we should go ahead and recognize that the gifts of healing, they're always temporary in this life. Always temporary. I mean, until Jesus returns, none of us are going to experience perfect health. But sometimes God chooses through even people with the gifts of healing to heal people of their physical, mental, emotional ailments. Then miracles. What are miracles? Miracles are extraordinary events unexplainable by natural causes. The word miracles comes from two Greek words that should be translated workings of powers. Workings of powers. Paul um, here um, is talking about phenomenal displays of God's extraordinary power that cannot be explained any other way. We see miracles in the Bible. Not just healings are, I think, miraculous. I think most of us say, like, healing, mm, that's, that's a miracle. That's not, you can't explain it. Didn't take Tylenol. Didn't go to the doctor. Didn't receive chemotherapy. Okay, it's like, can't explain it either way. Healings, that's a miracle. But there are also nature miracles. A lot of people, I think we could put deliverances from demonic experience or oppression. We could put this in the category of miracles as well as other uh, manifestations of God's power, like raising people from the dead. And you say, like, Tanner, do you believe that God could raise someone from the dead? Yes, I do. And I'm not afraid to pray over someone if God would lead in that moment. Now, that may, like, are many of us going to see someone rise from the dead? Probably not. But I've no credible people, sources that have said they've seen it with their own eyes. So we have a few more. What about prophecy? Prophecy is speaking a message given spontaneously from God. Because I covered this with Ephesians 4 message and last week in Romans 12, uh, we're not going to spend much time on it today at all because actually we're going to come back to it over the next three weeks. So let's move on to distinguishing spirits. Distinguishing spirits refers to discerning between the demonic and the divine. So all Christians are instructed, even commanded to test the spirits. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 says that we should test the spirit and see if the teaching is, in, is, is consistent with who we know Jesus to be as the Son of God. But those with the gift of 
the discernment or distinguishing spirits have a heightened ability to recognize if teaching is from God or has a demonic source. They can differentiate between truth and error, between right and wrong, between good and evil. We see Jesus discerning demonic activity in the Gospels. We find Peter sensing the evil in Simon uh, the magician's heart in Acts chapter 8. We see Paul discerning the dumb man had faith to be healed in Acts 14 verse 9. That's distinguishing of spirits. But let's have some fun with the next one, tongues. What is speaking in tongues. This is, this is usually the most controversial and divisive of the miraculous gifts. And the primary reason for that, please listen carefully, the primary reason for that is because some Christians, some churches, some traditions would say, if you haven't been baptized, and we'll talk about second baptisms and what we believe about that. We believe in one baptism of the Holy Spirit, many feeling, fillings of the Holy Spirit, okay? But um, it, they would say, like, if you haven't received a second baptism and you don't pray in tongues, that you aren't very spiritually mature, and even worse, you might not be saved. And again, not only does the Bible never say that, but Paul, at the end of this chapter, he'll ask the question with this rhetorical in nature, does everyone speak in tongues? And the implied answer is absolutely not. So uh, we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. But for now, just understand that tongues can be an actual foreign language that is unknown to the speaker but intelligible to the hearer. This is what's going on in Acts chapter 2. But it can also be what Paul might call in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians uh, an angelic or a heavenly language that's not intelligible to anyone and it could be either directed toward God in prayer and praise or directed toward others for their benefit. But if it's directed toward others, there needs to be someone with the gift of the interpretation of tongues, which is explaining an unknown language that no one else understands. This is revealing the meaning to everyone else who has heard. And so listen, I know, I know we've covered a lot today. I know it's heavy on teaching and what like miraculous gifts are they for today? Why? And if they are and all of these gifts are still in operation, like what, what uh, are they? But let's just for a moment ask, how should we respond? And there are many responses and we'll get into more responses in the next few weeks. But, but, but here's the response I want to encourage today. Would you be open to God's work and what God wants to do in your heart and in our church and in churches across greater Boston and the world? Would you be open to expect the unexpected from God? Would you be willing to pray this prayer that we're often willing to pray in areas where we're comfortable, but not always where we're less comfortable? God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to do it, do it in my life and do it in our church. Let's open our hearts to God. Let's expect the unexpected. I love what Leonard Allen writes in his book on the Spirit. He says this, we need more of the Spirit's power in order to be disciples. 
to be God's royal priesthood. That's the church. In the mending of a broken and still groaning creation. But, listen, openness to the Spirit is risky. For the Spirit is no shy or tame spirit. And then he asks, quoting another, does this make you nervous? And he says, it should. The Holy Spirit is not predictable or safe. The Holy Spirit shatters the status quo, breaking us out of complacency and lifting us up to new heights of spiritual fullness and blessing if we are open to that. Let's pray and let's ask God to give us an openness before him as we seek to live the life of Christ in all of the ways that God desires for us. Father, we ask today that you would give us a spirit of openness, Lord, that, that you by your Holy Spirit would make our hearts open, make our hearts humble, make our hearts ready to receive whatever it is that you want to do in our lives. Whatever it is that you want to do in our church family, God, we thank you that every gift that you give is precious. That every gift that you give is a treasured gift. And God, we're just here today to say, Lord, we want more of your spirit. We want more of your Holy Spirit producing the fruit of Jesus and displaying the gifts of Jesus as we follow him. So God, let us put no limit, Lord, no limit on who you are, no limit on what you want to do, but with faith and expectation to say, God, we are ready. We are ready to follow you in every single way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.